HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we explore the relationship between food and style. I knew from the start that I never wanted to, like, hot glue bread onto my body. <laughs> like, I wanted to be able to enjoy it after, and I did. Food, which is so ephemeral, right, is something that you eat and it disappears. With an image, it remains. It stays alive forever. Food and fashion align in that they're both lenses through which to look at culture, right? And they're both also tangible things we can use to express ourselves and our identities. Tune in to Meet in 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to your favorite podcast and mine, Life's <laughs> a Banquet, with your hosts, me, Leonard Nimoy, <laughs> top that, and me, that young kid that played uh, Captain Kirk in the remake. What's his name? Uh, I'm thinking of Zachary Quinto, but he played Spock. He played Spock. Mm. Chris Pine? Yeah, one of the Chris's. Yeah, that's Ooh, me. Oh, that Chris Pine is hot. But really, I'll just be, I'll be a white Chris, and you can pick whichever one you want me to be. I'll be Chris Oh, you're Pratt, one of the white Chris's? <laughs> Chris Pratt, Chris Pine, Captain America, whatever his name is. I'd like you to be Chris Hardwick. Chris. <laughs> Chris Angel. <laughs> Friend of the pod. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes well welcome to another week of the greatest podcast ever hit your eardrums yep uh i'm sure we're gonna talk about ben affleck and or maybe we won't and that will be the real surprise huh imagine a, an Affleckless week well it has been a slow affleck week actually well so. I've, I've got some affleck news that i want to share with you well i don't have nothing i just am oh, warning okay, you that it's not that exciting okay um i don't want to tell you a news thing about Ben Affleck. I just wanted to quickly say because we talk about Ben Affleck so much that well, I we just don't wanted... talk about him when we're not on the podcast. Just so everybody knows, okay? that's true. We never mention him ever <laughs> off air, ever, 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 <laughs> ever. That's true. We never do. We I... never talk about him off the show, and we never will. We never will. Uh, but I just thought I would take this opportunity 
for anyone who doesn't know who Ben Affleck is, I... <laughs> read, read from his Wikipedia page. And just who is this guy anyway? Well, I'm glad you asked. His name is Benjamin Geza Affleck Bolt. Mm-hmm. He's born on August 15th, 1972. Almost a happy birthday to you, Geza. Aaliyah, just like me. Uh, yes, he is a Leo. Uh, he is an American actor, film director, producer, screenwriter, and philanthropist. I somehow find that last part unbelievable. I just feel like once you get a money manager, you're just like, hey, Jared, send a little bit of money over to the people in, you know, who got genocided or whatever. Sure, sure, sure. And by Jared, you mean the guy from Subway Sandwich fame and notoriety. And- He's from Indiana. Oh, is he? And yes. I and I had not realized until just now that he was also Ben Aff- uh, Ben Geza Affleck's uh, money manager. But that's why we're here. We're here to mm-hmm. share our information. So his accolades include two Academy Awards and three Golden Globes, uh, which made me reconsider how much I tease him because he has so much more far accomplished than I. He began his career Wait, as a child. Sudden, um, then you are, yeah. But we don't, like, respect the Academy Awards. Oh, no. I live and die by the Academy Awards. But Anything yes, they you don't say, have any. <laughs> I don't have any. Anything the Academy <laughs> Awards say goes. I don't have any yet. Um, his Now, this was a surprise to me, Nicole. His career began as a child when he starred in the PBS educational series The Voyage of the Motherfucking Mimi. The Voyage of the Mimi, which I've seen clips of. I've seen the whole thing over and over. It was when Do you remember, like, when we were kids and, like, everything was pretty analog and your teacher would have to, like, wheel out a giant television with, uh-huh. like, a VCR from, like, its own private, like, suite that it had at the school? This yeah. is where Sometimes this TV lives. In some of my classrooms, we had giant TVs bolted to the ceiling in the mm-hmm. corner. <laughs> That's where we watched Babe, Pig in the City in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hadn't realized that uh, I'd been subjected to Ben Affleck at such an early age, but now it all, it all makes sense. What is the premise of The Voyage of the Mimi? Because I've only seen clips of it because they did probably Conan O'Brien once again did this, but I've seen like when he's been on a talk show, someone put clips of it on there. Oh, really? No, I really don't remember. I just remember it was like, you know, a voyage of a Mimi, basically. And a Mimi, as everybody knows, is the scientific name for a large boat. That's made of wood. It is? Mm-hmm. According to science. Yeah. I thought that he, like, named it after his dead mom or something. No, no, no. It's just it's just a scientific name. It's the genus of boat. Um, <laughs> so I don't remember what it was about, but I remember that we watched it, and then we went to, like, Mystic, Connecticut as a class on, like, a class trip to look at all the other Mimis. I'm just kidding. I think Mimi was his, his deceased mother. You didn't um, go. Also, shouldn't you have watched Mystic Pizza before you went to go to Mystic, Connecticut? Well, I know, I agree. It does have, that has a little bit of adult content, I think, for 40 Yeah, years. sure, 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 sure. Um, but it is a great movie. But I just want to quickly, again, for anyone who doesn't know Ben Affleck, just finish up his resume Oh, I'm here. sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. Yeah, this, me. Is, this is definitely the haters are loving this part. It's hard hitting. Uh, he, and then he, they read from Ben Affleck's <laughs> Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay, he later appeared in the independent coming-of-age drama Days and Confused. Various Kevin Smith films, including Mallrats, which is probably one of my top ten most seen movies of all time, if not top three. Um, Affleck gained wider recognition when he and a childhood friend 
Matt Damone won the Golden Globe and Academy Awards for Best Screenplay for writing the corniest movie of all time, Goodwill Hunting. Dear God. Which they also starred in. How about he, them apples? He then Am I had, right? <laughs> <laughs> how fucking high of themselves do you think they were when they wrote that line? Yes. And then he says, how about them apples? And he smashes it on the window. I challenge you to rewatch that movie if you haven't seen it recently and not to throw up in your mouth a little bit. Challenge accepted. And I feel terrible about it because I did watch it recently, maybe two years ago. And I was, like, beside myself with how unbearably bad it was. And I felt bad because I love Robin Williams so much. And also, I like Gus Van Zandt a lot. I think he's a really great director. And I'm confused with where it all went wrong with Good Bill Hunting. It's the dialogue. It's the Yeah, script. it's Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ben and Matt. Mm-hmm. They ruined it. A perfectly good movie. Um, so anyway, this is actually the whole, this has all been leading up to this sentence. He then established himself as a leading man in studio films, including the disaster film Armageddon, the war drama Pearl Harbor, and the thrillers The Sum of All Fears and Changing Lanes, which I don't remember, but I guess Changing Lanes must have been like a suspense film about someone driving on the freeway. I bet it's about someone who drives on the freeway, but their turn signals on the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, and then someone tries to catch up with them, and they're like, your signal is your still signal's on. Your signal's on. And they, he like, I haven't seen, what is it, Changing Lanes and what's the other one? The, the Sum, Sum of, of All, all fears. fears. What's that I, one? I think that if I remember correctly, obviously I didn't do any looking into this. If I remember correctly, the Sum of All Fears is some kind of like international drama. <laughs> okay. Well, I feel like I would probably enjoy, because I like those early 2000s like thriller type movies well then you're gonna love the sum of all fears because i think it's 2002 which would make me and i'm i'm totally just guessing here but it would make me think that perhaps it's like a wildly unfair just depiction of terrorism told through the lens of uh newly post 9-11 america i'm sure it's extremely bad just like murder by numbers starring sandra bullock Ooh, what is Murder by Numbers? It's, I have I can't watch it, but I'm pretty sure the premise is that she, Sandra Bullock like murdered her boyfriend or something, or accidentally killed someone. And she's really having a hard time processing it. She's also sure. a police officer, a cab, oh, a cab, Sandy. And Bill. then something happens, and there's like a crazy plot twist. And honestly, now I'm making myself want to watch it, but every time I try, I can't <laughs> get through it. Huh. Very interesting. I just had something interesting to say in relation to that, but it's now completely gone from my head as though it never happened. And it was funny. Well, it was a good joke. Now it's gone. finished reading Ben Affleck's Wikipedia page, I, I am. I am done. I'm sorry. I just, it's something about, I felt like we needed to, we were talking about this person a lot and there's probably a lot of people who've never heard of him. So I yeah, that's I would just true. let that's everyone true. know. He is definitely like D-list. Um, so the news is very slow, but basically... There's like six publications that posted that Ben Affleck went on a date night. They kept calling it date night, mm. which I think is funny because they just started dating. And yeah. I feel like date night is more of like when you're married and love is dead and you haven't had sex in three years. Exactly. And then, How about a date night? Maybe, yeah. Maybe that'll help. Um, so whatever. Um, but they're like, Ben and Jennifer were all smiles after their date night. And there is a picture of them and they are both grinning from ear to ear and it's pretty cute. So they're probably on Molly. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I don't think that Ben Affleck is allowed to do drugs because he's in recovery, but maybe. Oh. Who knows? Hmm. Okay. Um, what do yeah. you think these two talk about, Ben and Jen? Well, they dated and they were engaged, so I feel like they whatever they talk about, they, the old chemistry is still there. Do you, you know, don't you have a lover that's like the one who got away? Maybe yeah, when you're 50 and he's 49, you can call him. When I'm 50, my one that got away will be like almost, I don't know, like 55. And in my mind, that's too old. <laughs> I can't date a 55-year-old. I mean, well, I you can't let ageism ruin your life. Also, you will be 50. And so as a woman, you will actually be the one who is undateable. A 55 I feel like man, I already am undateable at 37. A 55-year-old man can get a date with anybody you want. That's true. That's true. Men do have it. Really, there's no qualification. You just have to be breathing. And even then, look at Bernie and Weekend at Bernie's. He was dead. That's and there hilarious was that you mentioned hitting that. On him in that. I watched that today. Well, part of it anyway. You did? You just decided to turn on Weekend at Bernie's? No, it's like on Hulu. There's like '90s binge watch or '80s binge watch. So I watched Days of Thunder, which I have never seen before, and it is such a good movie. What's Days of Thunder? The Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman race car movie. Oh, right, right, right. I've not seen that. You haven't seen it? I don't really do a lot of cruising, to be honest. I don't really like, I don't love T. Cruise. Yeah, I know, but this is his early work. Yeah, I mean, I like the, uh, what's the one with Paul Newman, The Color of Money? Yeah, and Risky Business is good. Risky Biz is good. I'm not, gotta be honest, I'm not really a Top Gun fan. Well, this is kind of like Top Gun, but with race cars, but less... Julie. Um, but it's a movie that he and Nicole Kidman met on. Also, she plays a neurosurgeon, and I think she's like 25 in this movie, which is hilarious. But um, what is the other movie where someone's. Oh, that's It's Top Gun, where the uh, love interest is also like a neurosurgeon or some kind of like incredibly smart scientist. She's like a physicist, yeah, or something. Yeah. Like that, for NASA or something. I don't so know. So this is she's, essentially the same movie. She's really hot. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, They're like, like, women can be extraordinarily hot and have great abs and also spend all their time in the elk science lab. Hot um, nerds. But anyway, Days of Thunder is actually very good. Hmm. Uh, John C. Riley is in it. Oh, and really? And it was actually co-written by Tom Cruise, which I think is bizarre. Um, huh. Anyway, give it a check out if you haven't seen it. And anyway, what came on right after that was Weekend at Bernie's. It just came on afterwards. It's just right up in your face. Weekend at Bernie's is one of those movies that makes me truly and firmly believe that I could be a screenwriter with having uh, no experience whatsoever. Well, the lead actor that's not the other guy, the famous guy. Famous Bernie. Er, Bernie Sanders. No, the lead, <laughs> the lead actor is very unattractive. Also, I was watching The Big Chill the other night. Oh, great movie. And everyone, I don't really like it. And everyone oh, I is love it. so ugly in it. Like, even Glenn Close looks horrible. Everyone looks like they're 42. William Hurt is not ugly. He's yes, he so, is. He's hot. He, no. to me, he is hot. Mm-mm. I realized that I like blondes, which yeah, is weird blonde, to say. It's not the blonde about it that I, I think he looks good in other movies. He's, he just looks really ugly like everyone else in Have the Have you ever seen the movie, movie Body Heat? Yes. With William Hurt and Kathleen Turner? Yes, I have. That's a fucking sexy, that is a boner movie. No, but what I want to talk about is how ugly everyone is in The Big Chill. Great. Who else do you think is ugly? Go ahead. Whom else do you think is ugly? Every person. 
in the largest chill. With the exception of maybe Meg Tilly, but even her, she doesn't look that great. I don't know. I mean, look, here's the thing. Also, the other thing is, sorry to interrupt you, but the other thing is that this is an 80s movie where they just, they're like, okay, so all these people are like 30 years old and they already have like full careers. Like the one woman who's like, I'm going to try to have a baby on my own because my career, and she has like a, you know, a top floor office and she's surrounded by windows at whatever the hell her job is. And she's 30 years old. Well, she's totally. terrified of like not being able to have a baby when she's 30 years old. It's, it's just the same a, thing with fucking, uh, what's that other movie? It's almost exactly, uh, St. Elmo's Fire. Oh my God, yeah. That movie's also not very You know good. why it is, is because fucking, well, first of all, people were way more mature back then. But like, secondly, it's the whole Reaganomics vibe of the 80s and everybody being these incredibly like, you know, power hungry capitalists who like, you know, and also projecting the image of wealth was like so huge during the 80s. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but yeah, everyone is ugly in The Big Chill and it's also boring, so... I think it's very, I I like watching it. (laughs) I love it. I give it, we're split here. We're one thumb up and one thumb down. So you just have to pick whose opinion you trust more. But I also just like, I wouldn't necessarily go out and say, since everyone is dying to know what I think about the big big chill, I wouldn't say I love it. It's just, I enjoy watching it. It's like a warm blanket. Yeah. I don't know what it is. It's a, the the hairstyles like Glenn Close who's so hot in whatever the movie is where she m- kills the bunny spoiler alert oh yeah fatal, fatal attraction uh, fatal instinct she's so hot in that and she has okay. basically the same hairstyle but she's so unattractive in the big chill except for at the very beginning where she's in the shower and you can kind of see her boobs when she's crying on the floor of the shower her bod yeah. her bod looks great I mean I'm gonna go ahead and say something here now about eighties movies and eighties fashion. I personally think that if I had to pick a least favorite genre of movies, like a a decade where I disliked the movies the most, or I should say liked the least amount of movies, movies maybe, would be the 80s and the fashion as well. I'm not into the 80s at all. I mean, of course, there's some fun things that have come out of the 80s, but largely I'm I'm not for the 80s, although I am from the 80s. Sure, yeah. I even like Working Girl. Everyone looks terrible in that. Um, yeah, well, working girl, God bless that Mike Nichols, am I right? Yeah, but, you know, Harrison Ford looks fantastic, and so does Sigourn. Yeah. Uh, just one more thing about my life, since you asked. Sure, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I have, like, basically the beginning of a porno tomorrow, because I have a man coming over to my house to, like, work on my windows. <laughs> then what's going to happen? I don't know. He said, it, he said basically what he's doing is he's unsticking all of my windows, which have been painted shut oh. repeatedly. Um, that sounds like uh, innuendo, Nicole. I should have never told you about the porn part because now you just are being twelve. But so open up my window. Sorry. <laughs> basically, he was like, "It's going to be eight hundred dollars for me to come unstick all twenty-five of your windows." And I was like, at the time, I was like, "Yeah, that seems right." But now I'm like, I don't. I unstuck one of my windows in ten minutes, so. What's, I don't know. I just feel like he's going to come here. First question, Nicole. Is this the handyman that you casually mentioned yesterday on the phone that looks like fucking Kevin Costner? Yeah, he does. I'll try to sneak a picture of him, but then Please. I don't. Take, take a video of the two of you doing it. 
<laughs> okay, that's a great idea. Um, you, you should have sex with this hot handyman. I should, but he's, I'm sure, married, because this is Indiana, where everyone gets married multiple times before the age of 34. He um, could be in the middle of two marriages. Well, I'm pretty sure there was a wedding ring on his hand when he was here before, although I always forget to look for that. What I, if it is Kevin Costner and he's just fallen on hard times? Yeah, he's he's younger looking. He looks younger than because Kevin Costner is in his seventies. <laughs> That's so. not true. First of all, bite your tongue. Kevin Costner is not in his seventies. He's yes, in his sixties. Okay, well, he looks like he's in his seventies. <laughs> That's just from the the ear top of the ear up. If you look at him from the top of the ear down, he could be maybe in his early to mid fifties. Okay, well, just relax a little bit for a second, and I have a question, because I'm like, sure. he's supposed to be here all day. Do I have to, like, sit here and just watch him unstick my windows? Or, like, I've never had a handyman. <laughs> I never lived in a mansion before, so I don't know what it's like to have the handyman be at your house all day. Well, okay, Nicole, let me drop a little a little flirting tutorial on you. No, if I'm not I'm... asking about hitting on him. I'm just like, <laughs> can if I, I leave you, the house? If I were you... <laughs> I would start the morning off with a freshly baked crumb cake. Pull it right out of the oven as the handyman arrives. Say you have to let it cool in the window. Just bend over a little bit to get it in that window. Make sure you leave the screen shut, although that shouldn't be a problem because all your windows are glued closed so a squirrel doesn't come in. Next thing you want to do is you're going to want to get in the shower. You're going to want to procure yourself some kind of silk robe. (laughs) Throw that sucker on. Put your your hair in a towel when you come out and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I thought I left the oven on, but you fully know that you didn't. Um, at which point, your nipples will be showing through your <laughs> silk robe. <laughs> then you're going to let that sucker accidentally fly open. My Revealing bro? your bush. Yeah. Wow. Revealing okay. a huge, huge full bush, <laughs> which I'm assuming you have. I do have a full bush, but it's in front of my house. <laughs> oh, right. Your piss bush. My bush is kept up with the trends of the times. I mean, yeah. Right. It's a it's an artfully dis- designed bush. Well, and then you might want to just go to something a little bit more like innuendo based and be like, well, while you're here unsticking all my windows, maybe you could also take a look at my bush. And then you could like mm. lead him outside to the bush. But at that point, you kind of already put it out there. So now I'm standing in my yard completely naked. <laughs> No, no, no. This is if you're too nervous to get naked. Uh, you could just show him the bushes outside of your house and see and if that could... And then he'll put two and two together. Exactly. Let him let him ask you to see your bush rather than just showing it to him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> does that does that help at all? Is that helpful advice? Yeah, no, this is... A, yeah. So I was just like, can I go to... Target while he's here, and also yes, if you I trust no longer him. think that it's gonna. I don't think it's worth eight hundred dollars. So how do I? I don't. Well, what if it doesn't take him eight hours, and then he's done halfway through the day? I mean, John Waters, uh, which we're gonna quickly reveal, who is our topic today. I was just reading about him, and he was saying that anyone who does you a favor or gets you a present, you should thank them with a sexual favor. His words, not mine. So all I'm saying is that maybe 
you could think about that with this hot Kevin Costner handyman if you don't have $800. Okay. So you are not listening at all. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horny for your handyman, okay? I'm sorry. He is very, I'm sorry. I he's like see cute, him. but also like, I don't know. There's, I don't know if he wants to make sweet love to me. I guess we'll find out tomorrow when he arrives at 9 a.m. Ooh, I, I hope something terribly embarrassing happens. I'm sorry, but I do, just because it would be a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure my social awkwardness will lead to some sort of awkward encounter. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I can, we can almost definitely count on that happening. Um, <clears throat> and that's part of the whole charm of being a person, right? It, I guess. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you could pull one of the uh, moves that I used to pull at Brucey when we were like really broke and I couldn't pay the bills, which is I would write a check, but I would, I would quote unquote, forget to sign it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like as if I have a checkbook. That's hilarious. Sarah. What year do you think it is? Oh, maybe you can get one of those big giant checks from Publishers Clearinghouse. Oh, I don't know. Weird. I'm just trying to help you. Oh yeah. Those big giant checks. And I don't not, sign it. And I'm naked behind it. That's, <laughs> That's you a good pop, idea. You pop out of a check, like instead of a cake. Or like I like run towards it and I'm like, look, and then I get stuck in the doorway because the check's so big. <laughs> uh, All these great ideas. Oh my god, that's funny. Well, should we get into our topic today? I don't which I've already revealed. Why we should? You don't think so? I'm very excited about our topic today. No, which yeah. I already mentioned is John Waters, the oh. acclaimed director, not the kid I went to high school with who was also named John Waters. <laughs> you went to school with a John Waters? <laughs> yeah, I did, but he couldn't have been any further from the real John Waters. He was a real square. Huh, all right. Real towny. Where is he now? Very likely either working on, like, a fishing boat or doing, like, roofing or deceased. I don't know. Roofing. John, are you there? <laughs> it's just, like, a job that people from my hometown got into. Roofing, yeah, sure. no, painting, yeah. aluminum yeah. siding, which is... Honest work. I have no problem with it. I'm just, if you want to know where John Waters is, that's, that's probably where. But he, I think John Waters actually is a townie because he loves Baltimore. Maybe. Oh, he is a townie. Yeah, he still lives there. He's all, in, all about that life. Um, okay, well, we, I can't remember how we arrived at this topic, but I decided to do a dirty shame. And if you were missing the earlier part of the podcast, well, someone read directly from Wikipedia. Here, <laughs> Here we are someone. again. It was me, you bitch. Me, uh, your co, your co-hostess. Here we are again. Me. Most of this research is lifted directly from Wikipedia. Um, oh, because that's the angle that I wanted was already there for me. So, um, a dirty shame, not to be confused with a low-down dirty shame, which is a Wayans movie. Um, yes, 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 yes. I have also never seen. Um, but I always thought it was called a low-down dirty shame, but that's a different movie. This is a dirty shame. The 2004 John Waters satirical sex comedy. Um, it stars an all-star cast, but it's got Selma Blair, Tracy Ullman, Chris Isaac, Mink Stoll, and a million other people. Johnny Knoxville. Oh, of course, Johnny Knoxville. How could I forget uh, it's actually the last film ever directed by John Waters because he said that the poor box office performance prevented him from directing any future movies, which is very sad. 
It is very sad seeing as though they'll give like tons of money to all these like, I don't know, blue chip directors who like have tons of bombs. I mean, look at Kevin Costner. He got another chance. I don't know if he ever went behind the camera again, although he didn't direct Waterworld. But you know what I'm saying? And like John Waters makes a movie. Of course, fucking a dirty shame is not going to make money. You know what I mean? Yep. It's Um, a dirty, that's a dirty shame. (laughs) Um... Yeah, it's actually, well, we can talk about it later, but it's it's really kind of a bummer. Um, the point of the movie is kind of why it didn't do well. <laughs> but the plot, if you've never seen it, is that the citizens of Hartford Road, which is in Baltimore, or Hartford Road, are divided into two camps. One is neuters, and the neuters are puritanical residents who hate all sex. And the other camp is the perverts, which is a group of sex addicts whose unique fetishes have been brought on by concussions. Also, this Wikipedia summary of the plot is very funny. And don't don't take Wikipedia's word for it. Go see the movie. But uh, Sylvia Stickles, Tracy Ullman, is the main character that you see in the beginning. She's a neuter who keeps her promiscuous daughter, Caprice, played by Selma Blair. With the biggest boobs in the history of the world. A.K.A. Ursula Utters locked up in the apartment above the garage because she has been arrested multiple times for indecent exposure, including driving while nude, which I think is... (laughs) (laughs) That's what you're going to do tomorrow with your handyman. Very funny. Um, She has comically enormous boobs in this film, which is also funny because she's just a tiny person. And she also has a perm. She looks great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Sylvia gets hit on the head and meets Ray Ray, played by Johnny Knoxville, who is a sexual saint, according to him. And he's basically in search of a sex act that has never been done before. <laughs> Eventually, I have to read this quote word for word because it was cracking me up. Eventually, through a series of bizarre head knockings, everyone in Harford Road becomes a sex addict as Ray Ray shoots semen out of his head and becomes the messiah of Let's Go Sexin. <laughs> I love that. Like, let's go sexin. Which, like, all of that is true, but you don't really get a, a real sense of the movie, um, which is, I think, not, it's not, it's, you know, we'll talk about that later. Okay. Um... Waters decided to make the film after discovering sexual slang terms on the internet, which is funny because he's a famous, like, Luddite. Like, he doesn't... Or not a Luddite, but what's... What's the thing where you choose not to uh, use technology? An Amish person? Oh, yes, an Amish man. He's it's, a famous Amish director. John he, Waters. He had, like... There's an interview with him where he was like, I still write with a pencil, and I don't use even a... Yeah, he yeah. writes his schedule on, like, in, um, in white index card. Every, he's, like, friendly Lewitz. Yeah, but, like, what is that word that describes people who are like that? Uh, my mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Me, to some extent. Uh, a, a, I don't know, a person with some respect for tradition. Tradition. I don't know the word. I don't know what the word is. Well, let us know world vocabulary for us. We're not doing so hot at it. <laughs> that sentence didn't make any sense. <laughs> Vocabulary for us. We're not doing so hard at it. It makes sense. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Um, so anyway, it's just a funny that he's like basically like saw that there was sexual slang on the internet, like neuters. And he was like, let's make a movie about this. 
Uh, Suzanne Shepard, who's a veteran stage actress, plays Big Ethel, was cast completely unfamiliar with Waters' work. So she had no idea what to expect. And when she showed up for the first script review, she started crying and tried to quit. (laughs) (laughs) I Uh, didn't realize that. That's funny. And the cast actually convinced her to stay, which I think is cute. Although maybe she still regrets it. Um, Paul Giamatti was actually cast as Vaughn Stickles, who's played by Chris Isaac. But Chris he dropped Isaac the hottest. He dropped out before filming. Yeah, Chris Isaac is so hot, but I would have enjoyed Paul Giamatti in that role. Me too. Although it's very different, a very different kind of thing. But yeah, Paul Giamatti would have done good. I love Chris Isaac. Yeah, he's very hot. Give me a call, Chris. Um, that's a Chris. Now that's a Chris. Yeah, you love a singer turned actor like Harry Connick Jr. Also, please call us. Oh, yeah, Harry Connick Jr. Is not, they're very similar in my mind, Harry Connick Jr. and uh, and uh, Chris Isaac. They're interchangeable, don't you think? No, Harry Connick Jr. is more like jazz review, Christmas album, turtleneck guy, and Chris Isaac is like Wicked Games, Helena Christensen getting all sandy on the beach, sexy. Ooh, Wicked Game is really a, a very good movie. Oh, good music video. Suzanne Shepard, it just dawned on me, is plays Carmela's mom also in The Sopranos. In The Sopranos. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. To us only, maybe. Yeah. So Definitely. <laughs> the film, when it was released, got an NC-17 rating, and Waters went before the board to try to appeal it, and he was like, what do I need to cut so we can get an R rating? And he was told by the board that we stopped taking notes. So his appeal was denied, obviously unfairly, and really in a fucked up way. So it's, it did have an NC-17. Yes, so the film was released with an NC-17 rating, which if you guys aren't aware of this, I'm sure you are. If you Most theaters won't play a film that has um, an NC-17 right. rating, so it's really difficult to get distribution, and it definitely impacts box office performance, and it's really fucked up. So when the movie was released in 2004, sorry, September 17, 2004, it opened on one Baltimore screen. Really? It's not even that dirty. I mean, it's That's dirty, the thing. but it's, it's like not. not really that. But not, yeah, one of the reviews I read, which we'll get into in a second, was like, NC-17, but don't get excited, it's mostly all talk. And I'm like, that's right. It's not, it's all talk. Like, there's nothing, you don't see anything. Um, yeah, no, it's it's pretty benign. I mean, um, so yeah, opened on September seventeenth, two thousand four, and one Baltimore screen. It made twenty nine thousand dollars. The next weekend, it expanded to one hundred and thirty three screens, where it grossed four hundred and forty eight thousand dollars. Um, I remember seeing it at um, what's it called? The theater that's on West Fourth, uh, IFC. Yeah, it it ended its North American run with one point three mil overseas it earned a little bit of cash um but it did not do well uh eventually the film was released on dvd with an uncensored version and also an r-rated cut which is sold through blockbuster walmart and best buy it's called the neuter version it's pretty (laughs) hilarious um yeah so basically that's why the box office didn't do well and paul water or john waters was just like bummed out by the whole experience of the rating and 
being kind of fucked over. And never made a movie again. That's like, that sucks. I mean, he does a lot of other interesting kind of yeah, totally. things, he's, but he's doing okay. Um, so according to Rotten Tomatoes, the, the reviews are mixed. So they have 53% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I have here a couple of the reviews, positive and negative, just to kind of see what people were talking about in 04. Let's hear uh, it. The LA Times, Kevin Thomas, was into it. He says, a gross-out pioneer, Waters has always had more on his mind than delirious sex-crazed silliness. By allowing people to speak freely about their sexual urges and practices with a bluntness that is jaw-droppingly hilarious, Waters has drawn deeply upon comedy's liberating power. I, I agree with this man. Yeah. Uh, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone was also into it. He says, a dirty shame is water's unleashed and wicked kinky fun for anyone except for the twits who rated it NC-17. Okay, the jokes are hit or miss and the plot is non-existent, but the water spirit stays consistently and sweetly twisted, which I agree. The plot is non-existent and the jokes do not always land. Totally. I almost feel like the NC-17 rating is like an anti-queer kind of sentiment. Mm Mm-hmm. I, you know, it seems bigoted to me. Also, like, fear of a woman with, like, openly sexual woman, too. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, think about that other movie, another movie with the name Shame. You know that movie Shame? The with Michael Fassbender? Yeah, where you see his dick or whatever? I mean, that's not NC-17. That's, that's like, rated R. And that's, that's a fucking intense movie about sex. I've never seen it. I've seen it. I, I but, watch it once yeah. a week. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but if you see a guy's dick, it's not the same as a woman's fake giant boobs. I which mean, are clearly, obviously fake, which should, like, remove some of the terror, but it doesn't. Whatever. Um, Roger Ebert, no surprise, did not like it. What a um, fucking downer that. I've read some of his Waters reviews over the past couple of days, he too. He just clearly doesn't get it. But he's he, not, he has no sense of humor. He wrote this really mean review, and it, I have some excerpts here. Uh, there is in showbiz something known as a bad laugh. That's a laugh you don't want to get because it indicates not amusement, but incredulity. incredulity. <laughs> How do you say that word? Incredulity? No. Incredulity. Incredulous, but with the I-T-Y at the end. Incredulity. Nope. Uh, nerve, so indicates nervousness or disapproval. Dirty Shame is the only comedy that I can think of that gets more bad laughs than good ones. And then he also went on to say, Johnny Knoxville no longer has to consider Jackass his worst movie. Wow, what a fucking <laughs> asshole. <laughs> um, Karma. So the New York Times' is A.O. Scott also was not a fan but he was like, he was in, I thought his review was interesting, but his line was, I object to a dirty shame, not because it's offensive, but because it is boring. And I oh. can kind of feel that because I rewatched it today and it, it is a little, it drags on a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not my favorite Waters movie, but I, you know, people go different directions in their careers. Definitely. Um, there were nearly zero female critics to be found. I would, didn't do a deep dive. I just went on Rotten Tomatoes where you can see all the critics that they have like, amalgamated into the total percentage or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I found two women critics, but there was no link to the reviews because Rotten Tomatoes doesn't care, I guess. Um, sure. So all I have is a little clip that they have next to the, <laughs> to the tomato. But Linda Cook for KWQC-TV in Iowa gave it a fresh rating 
And all we know about her review is that she says, wow, the challenges of reviewing an NC-17 movie for a family newspaper are challenging. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then Cheryl Dawson and Leanne Pallone of MovieChicks.com were not into it. They said, the few laughs I got were not worth suffering through the rest of the movie, which I thought was kind of a bitchy thing for them. come on. It was a fun, look, it's a fun movie. I think it's, I think it's a fun movie. I mean, in the same spirit of all, I don't know, all his other movies. I mean, you know, Divine Fun, and I love, I love John Waters' movies that Divine is in, which is most of his early movies, and then when he died, you know. Yeah. The movies took a different turn. Totally. So that's all I have for A Dirty Shame. All right. Well, I recommend that people, personally, I would say, like, if someone asked, should I watch this or not? I'd say yes. If you feel like having a fun, light, silly time and watching a John Waters movie, I'd say watch it. Would I say that should be, if you've never seen any John Waters movies, should that be the first one? No. No. Mm -mm. But I enjoyed it. And I love, I think we're failing to mention one of the greatest things about this movie is that the incomparable goddess herself, Tracy Ullman, is the star. And I would watch her... Yeah, she's incredible. ...lick the wall. I mean, she is, like, the one of my favorite all-time humans. So she can do, do no wrong in my eyes. All right, cool. Well, let's take a little break, and we'll come back with mine side of this story, of this watery saga. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. And we're back. We're back. Hello. Welcome back. Welcome back. This show brought to you by the new feature of film, The Sum of All Fears. <laughs> <laughs> what is that Ben Affleck movie where he they remake... Um, Damn it. I can't. It's right. Basically, they go to the future or they're Batman. in the future and then they can, they predict the a lottery. Future. They, they predict the lottery numbers. Oh, I don't know. And it's like a Philip K. Dick short story that they remade into a movie. Anyway, that movie sucks. Uh, <laughs> you know what Ben Affleck movie is good? Is Argo. Is that good? It is. It is actually really good. It won right. Best Picture at, by the Does Academy, it? which I take all my cues <laughs> yeah, from. Okay. But no, it actually is quite good. I was reading in his Wikipedia, which I could go on and on. There's pages of this shit. But um, Argo, it did get angry when I realized how much I liked Argo. All right, well, you can't lose them all. Uh, that is true. Okay, so look, we're not here to talk about Ben, whatever his middle name is, Affleck. We are here to talk about the incomparable John Waters. I've already used that word once, and I may use it again. Um, There's one vocab word we know, and that's we're just going to use it over and over again. The incomparable. (laughs) Um, I dare you to use it in a sentence. All right. The year 1946, the date April the 22nd, John Waters is born in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, He forms a childhood friendship in, in high school with Divine, who was a drag queen that appeared in many, many, many of his early movies, including Multiple Maniacs, Pink Flamingos, Polyester, Female Trouble, Hairspray, just to name a few. Um, She was amazing and just... Oh, he was amazing. He identified as male. Um, 
he was amazing and beautiful and such a fun part of what made John Waters' movies come to life and have such like an essence of camp and trash and, um, but, uh, yeah, so John Waters is dubbed the Pope of Trash by the late great William Burroughs, um, and yeah, I mean, if, if people, if folks out there are listening and are not familiar with John Waters' movies, like I say, start at the beginning. Start with like, you know, Multiple Maniacs. That's one of his earliest movies and kind of work up and see how the the whole canon kind of came together. It's interesting and he's interesting. And he's just like, I remember like watching John Waters' movies. I think the first John Waters movie I ever watched was Hairspray. Mm-hmm. Probably um, me too. Or maybe Cry Baby. I can't remember. For me, I, I think it was definitely Hairspray because my mom loved John Waters and I think that she was like, this is one that seems like reasonable for you to start out watching at like age eight um, or whatever age I was. It came out in 1988. I don't know. I certainly didn't watch it when I was four. But um, anyway, I watched it over and over and over and over and over again. It was one of my favorite movies. And Cry Baby, I really loved. Um, I mean, all of them. But those were two of the ones I watched a lot as a kid and... I don't know. I think like, you know, when you're growing up, if you're any kind of any type of outcast, you know, uh, John Waters had a way of really speaking to you. Did you feel that way at all? Yeah, I think that I it's interesting because I, I just grew up watching Hairspray and Crybaby and not really knowing who John Waters was and not thinking about like a director, you know. Right, right. So and those movies are definitely more like you know, not like dumbed down, but like they're not. If you see Pink Flamingos in right. Friday, like I don't know, they're so, not full on like smut trash. Yeah, so they're I definitely was, cleaner. I was um, way older when I actually like figured out who John Waters was and what he was doing, and like watched. I probably didn't watch Pink Flamingos until I was in college. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then you know he definitely stands for like the outcast being accepted and all that it's like I, one of the reviews I was reading about him they were like divorce of the smut some of his movies are downright like like schlocky almost because they're just like so earnest basically because like yeah. the hairspray is such an earnest movie really they're like everyone even if you're different it's okay yeah it is he is really earnest and the thing that I love about John Waters which I think like we have almost fully lost today in so much of entertainment and so much of like our community, like different communities of people, of course, not every community. And certainly I feel like the queer community remains like the most open and welcoming community of all, but is like him as a person, his attitude towards like filmmaking, his attitude towards like the people who he portrays in his movies, even the way he gets his message across with like kind of, uh, levity and joy and, and color and fun. He's like a welcoming person, you know? And like mm-hmm. the message of all of his films was, was welcoming to everyone. I mean, even in Hairspray, like when you, when you watch Hairspray and like even the two kind of like square hosts of that TV show are like, you know, they're kind of square, but they're also cool. And like divine is the, the mother role the that mom, divine plays yeah. is cool. And like, He's just, like, I think it's cool to be in welcoming. You know what I mean? I also just think it's so, like, camp. It was probably my first yeah. introduction to, like, what camp is. Yeah. And I think that is important, too, just, like, for, like, it's a, it's a great, like, entryway into that understanding of what it is and, like, 
the other thing that I think is so interesting is that Ricky Lake was like his muse for a while. And I think that's so fun. I don't it's know. So I fun. love Ricky Lake. Me too. I love Ricky Lake. And I think like, you know, part of the whole camp thing and definitely what John Waters did in his movies, because he grew up self-identifying as like a huge outcast in many ways, you know, like, um, and I think that like, you know, being colorful and loud and over the top when like you're someone who is often like society tries not to see or recognize is just extremely important. And yeah, like because kind of the in the, the yeah, in the nineties, Ricky Lake was, you know, weight was a huge issue and she totally. basically was having trouble getting casting roles. And then John Waters was like, Well, why don't we just make it so that you're the star of my, I don't know. I just think that's really cool. Yeah. He is one of the coolest, greatest people I could go on forever about the reasons I love him. But I'm so glad we're doing this. So I want to just start off with telling you a couple of random facts about John Waters, uh, like eating habits, which I thought were great. I read this wonderful article from one from the LA Times, one from The Guardian about just two different separate people who got to spend a little bit of time with him. And this is kind of a hodgepodge of what they were talking about, about some of his eating stuff. So the interviewer from The Guardian says he eats lunch every day in his kitchen and he cooks for himself. Every meal is a recipe from Cooking Light magazine. Quote, that is my Bible. (laughs) Cooking Light magazine? (laughs) Oh, my God. On Sundays, he'll plan out his meals for the entire week and shop for the ingredients. There's no waste. He'll plan out the exact amount for for in advance. And if he's having a dinner party, even if it's for 19 guests, which happened recently, he'll test the recipe out first. So he always tests the recipe even before he makes himself dinner. <laughs> when he cooks, he does, does he ever wing it? Never. Quote, I hate recipes that won't tell you how many calories are in the meal. I need to know or I won't make them. Love it. Love the John Waters. I just love something about someone who's so regimented because it's like part of their weird neuroses. And I just really respect it. I just picture him kind of being like being in that zone when it comes to cooking. And I, I just really like it. I think that's funny too. But I also remember the interview with him talking about how he only uses pencils. We had like a jar of like perfectly sharpened pencils on his desk in a way that I would just never live my life. I would always be running around trying to find a sharpened pencil. That's how totally. I live my life. I think he's a very, very, very like regimented person and like lives a simple life where like making sure that he has sharpened pencils is like an extremely important, important part of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, are they always from cooking light? Always. Unless he has, it's a weekend on weekends. He'll splurge and eat, eat quote irresponsibly. Cheap day. We- weaknesses are pasta or licorice. <laughs> <laughs> cooking light magazine isn't even like, <laughs> low carb it's just like low calorie or low fat it's like so like whatever but it's so funny it's like so perfectly like a single like kind of fussy man living alone like yes. it just makes such sense like he's so like skinny also i guess that's a secret it's a secret uh there's fake food everywhere in the house rubber sushi spilled uh rubber food wax grits uh, the older items like faded flame mignon look pitiful on a table next to a shiny bowl of rubber ramen noodles. So his whole <laughs> house is full of fake food. So a friend of mine from New York's parents also collect rubber and plastic foods. Really? They, yeah, they have like um, fake ice cream sundaes. And a lot of them are like spilled. Like they have a, a can of Coke where it's it's like a sculpture. So like, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's it's basically sitting on this black, like the like lucite coca-cola right and the can is tipped over in the air spilling it out and so they have all kinds of stuff like that 
that was very popular in the 90s. And I remember, like, so distinctly, there was a store in Boca Raton, Florida, um, where my grandma lived, that we would, like, always go walk around, like, get ice cream at night and walk around in this store that was, like, full of fake food things, like that Coke can thing and, like, just, like, spaghetti that's spilling out, yep. like, beer that's doing the same thing, and it's, like, being held up by, like, the Lucite beer. I love that. Yeah, I love it, too. It's very cool. I kind of wish that I was the type of person that would have a bunch of that in my house, but then who would dust it? Not me. That's true. It would be coming true. I'm sure, this sounds like it's dusty as well, but... Um, so I just want to, before I jump into what I'm going to talk about, I want to, I remembered one of my favorite um, John Waters lines about food from a movie from Female Trouble where with Divine, where it kind of like goes through his life um, from like high school to like death or from childhood to death or whatever. And his name is Don Davenport in the movie. And one of the students gets up, one of the square kind of students gets up in class and goes, Don Davenport is eating a meatball sandwich right out in class. <laughs> <laughs> Always really stuck with me. I think it's really funny. And also, uh, while we're here, I'm going to mention just quickly, going back to uh, A Dirty Shame, I love the one line that resonates with me so much that I repeat all the time from A Dirty Shame is the woman who's like, I'm not prude. My husband's Italian. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Okay, but we are here to talk about my favorite John Waters movie, which is uh, Serial Mom, which was definitely his, like, largest budget movie to date. It was, like, his biggest movie. It was definitely way different than a lot of the other films he had made. Mm-hmm. Um, it cost, like, $13 million, I think, the budget, and it only brought in $8 million. So it was, I guess, technically a flop, but it was... This is a movie that I know every single word for, like, line for line. What it's year did it come out? 94. It's definitely it's the movie 94. I've seen most times in my life. And Ricky Lake is also in this movie. Ricky Lake, Matthew Lillard are the kids, Sam Watterson is the dad, and the serial mom herself, Miss Kathleen Turner. Yes. Do I always think of as Kathleen Turner Overdrive from High Fidelity? Because that's Uh, the name of their band. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Now... Ms. Turner is amazing in this movie. And the I film... Loved, okay, so Kathleen Turner now, you know, her voice has gotten huskier and... Yeah. Um, but she... So she's in The Jewel of the Nile and Romance in the Stone, and she's so both hot. amazing movies. She's so hot in that. And Kirk Douglas... Is it Kirk? No. Michael, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas is just... For whatever reason, he's wearing, like, silk pants all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I yep. just don't... And he looks really skinny. I, I don't know. They're just... He doesn't do it for me in that movie. I think we've talked about this. So I'm hot for Michael Douglas, not she, for She, though, Douglas. in those movies is so hot. Like, yeah. so sexy. Gotta love it. And, and body heat. And also body heat, yeah. Yeah. And also, honestly, in Serial Mom, she's still got it going on. She is fucking fiery hot in Serial Mom. And her wardrobe is spectacular it's a perfect khaki onslaught uh nice white tennis shoes she looks amazing so if anyone hasn't seen serial mom watch it as soon as humanly possible it's, it's so funny it's it, so funny it's so <laughs> Kathleen good. is like the perfect person to play this role she does it perfectly there's nothing wrong with it from beginning to end it's the great great movie it's really great it was the i think glenn close was considered and meryl streep 
Mm-mm. But they, I mean, they're lucked out with Kathy Turner. So Serial Mom is basically like the story of a regular kind of suburban beaver cleaver mom who has a murderous uh, <laughs> rampage. It seems to have always been within her, but we catch her on a weekend where she goes completely berserker. And then in the third act, we see her go to trial after she's caught for her crimes, which she does very little to hide. So basically, like this film, like many of John Waters' films, if not all, are a, a jam-packed with blazing lava hot social commentary mm-hmm. wrapped up in satire. So this film speaks to the boxes that women are put in, uh, the American fascination with violence, uh, secret lives of suburban whites, vigilante justice, the problematic media. The media, yeah, the, the media and the trial and the way that we do all of that crazy shit. So was OJ... The death penalty. When, when the did de- OJ happen? OJ was 94. So this was happening in tandem. I don't think it was made. So interesting. But there was already such... Because there was so little, like, new... Not that there was so little news, but obviously it's not like today. Like, we all know this. Every news story that came out was incredibly, like, long-lasting. You know, right. people and were, like, when did CNN launch? That's also a whole, CNN like- launched in the 80s, I think. It happened okay. with the... Um, Baby Jessica. That was the yeah. first real yeah, like yeah, big yeah. story that happened. So yeah, addressing problematic media, the ability of white women to get away with literal murder, um, the monotony under like the suburban lifestyle that drives people insane, um, classism, racism in the way that there's like no people of color in this town. That's very intentional because John Waters is not someone who wouldn't use people of color in a movie on purpose. I mean, you know, with without it being on purpose to kind of prove a point. Um, yeah, it's just like an, it's an incredible, incredible film. He guest stars, uh, I don't know if anybody, this is an Easter egg. At one point she, she, it's revealed very quickly that she's communicating with Ted Bundy in jail. Although like it must've been like an old tape because I believe he was, uh, executed in 89 and this movie's in 94. But anyway, she has like a recording of her talking to Ted Bundy or a message from him and it's John Waters' voice. Oh, I don't remember that part. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and also, you know, like, he made, like, in the third act, there's the whole kind of, like, John Waters is a huge true crime fanatic, and he used to go to all these big trials. So he would go and sit at trials for forever until he got too famous where he couldn't go anymore. But I believe he was at the Manson trials. He was at um, Richard Speck's trial. He was at some of, like, the biggest trials of... Um, of serial killers. And this entry. Yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, I just like, I also just love how like John Waters so effortlessly and without care just follows his interests. Like when you were saying that about how he made a dirty shame because he was like Googling new names of sexual positions and there's like, I'm going to make a movie about this. Like he just has the vibe of like life being short and wanting to just entertain himself and make it worth it. That is so palpable. Well, I don't think he, he wasn't Googling sexual positions i think what he found was sexy chat rooms oh got it got it, got it. i think but that's still. what and where people were like where fetishes were kind of right, right had right. their own little space i, I think you know i had that to make it a lot of sense. assumptions because wikipedia didn't go into it totally but even still i just think it's like i just love he, how fucking authentic this man is with his interests and, like, the art he makes. And it's just, I don't know, he's just the fucking best. So, anyway, I'm going to run you through some of the food moments in this movie, of which there are many, and there are many food moments in a lot of his movies, but this one in particular, I think, as, like, <laughs> he, re- he, I mean, he really uses food as a tool to, like, 
you know, paint the picture of the suburban experience and then also how it like turns on you. And everyone is kind of identified in the movie by like the foods they're eating. Um, so like they're doing like the wholesome vibe in the beginning of the movie, Chip, who's played by Matthew Lillard wants, you know, is heard asking, can I have donuts for breakfast? And she's like, they're bad for your teeth. And like Sam Watterson is a dentist in the movie. So like the teeth are important, whatever, whatever. So they're having like the all American breakfast of like cornflakes and eggs and whatever. Um, she's completely against gum, which I think is just funny because she's just like specific. Like she has no problem killing people, but she doesn't want anyone to chew gum or like wear white. Mm-hmm. She's all about day. like the decorum. She's about decorum. Yeah. And vigilante justice, which I think that like that part of it speaks to the vigilante part because people right. who are vigilantes have very specific ideas of how everyone else should be. And decorum. Well, yeah. It's yeah. also just really interesting because she, it's just such a funny take because she gets really mad about these fake society rules that don't matter, especially now, but like, totally. Like she kills someone because they wear white after Labor Day or whatever. Yeah, she kills Patty Hearst. That's Spoiler right. alert. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It's Patty Hearst. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, it's many layered. Totally. So then she bakes like a meatloaf after she runs over their teacher. And it's like this bloody meatloaf. And like her and her son, Matthew Lillard, have been watching like a gore, a super gory movie. He's really into gore. And she's mm-hmm. kind of in it too. And like, She's, like, perfect, and she bakes cookies. And then I think probably, like, the best food moment of the whole entire movie, which sticks with me till this day every time I eat a roast chicken, which is often because I love roast chicken. And every fucking time I eat roast chicken, I think of this. I, like, every time. um, Of this scene when there's a couple that she doesn't like because they are giving her husband a hard time about his dental practice. And she creeps up in their window, and they're, Eating a roast chicken, like, the most disgusting way that anyone could, and it sounds like... It's really gross. And they're on the couch, aren't they? Or are they at the table? They're at the table. They're at the table. But they're, like, really, like, slurping and sucking. And, like, we see earlier in the movie that she, like, loves birds. She's a birder. Um, And so she, like, kills the shit out of them. Drops (laughs) air conditioning on the man's head. Stabs the wife. The gigantic knife. And every time I eat chicken, I'm like... I feel this twinge of guilt in the back also, of my head. Isn't the wife, didn't, wasn't she also in Edward Scissorhands? She's like a character actor. Yes, she yeah, was. She's yeah, great. Yeah. She's great. No, not the wife. That's not the, the uh, woman who she's harassing about Pussy Willows was also in Edward Scissorhands. the Pussy, okay, the Pussy Willows. Pussy Willows. <laughs> Another thing, my grandmother always had Pussy Willows in her house growing yeah. up. And they're so soft. I used to pick them off and, like, play with them. And They are soft. Oh, they are tiny. They're a little tiny. They're, like, chinchilla, mini chinchillas. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an amazing scene. And then the other, like, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scene <laughs> that has to do with food is the scene in which she kills someone with their own dinner, which is uh, the woman who is hassling her son about and she won't rewind her videos. Oh and my so God. I was, I was conflating the chicken murder with, okay, now I she's remember. On yeah. Couch. Yeah. She's watching Annie and the dog is like licking her toes <laughs> and she's roasted herself for one person, a, le- a fucking whole leg of lamb. A whole leg of lamb. <laughs> <laughs> hey. But that's kind of like, it's funny. It, you've got it, flaunt it, you know? Exactly. But it's like this woman, it's like, an old woman like who <laughs> lost her husband, like still making 
the leg of lamb that she made on Sundays for two, but just for herself. And now she watches Annie and she's with the dog. Like, that's what it says to me or whatever. And so Kathleen Turner goes to, like, stab her with a huge knife. And then we see her turn around and go back into the kitchen, grab the leg of lamb, and beat her to death with it. It's so great. It's so great. And she beats her to death with it. And then, like, blood, like, squishes out of her face and, like, splatters onto the television it's so gory. It's just like such a great, it's just such a great movie. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's rife with like different kind of food things. There's way more than even that, but those are some of my favorite food moments from it. So the scene that has always stuck in my mind is when she's on trial. This is not food related, mm-hmm. um, but when she's on trial and she, <laughs> she's like on the witness stand, I guess, talk, I, we, you know, which is ill-advised if you're yes. actually the one on trial. And she's also her own lawyer. Well, right. She's her own lawyer. And so, oh no, wait, that, I'm reversing it. No, she's sitting, or no, she's getting cross-examined. Basically she's not wearing any underwear and she keeps opening and closing her legs so that whoever can see it and it becomes so flustered that they can't like yeah. continue. And that part for me was like before the Sharon Stone whatever fatal desire movie that she uses <laughs> <laughs> the sum of all fatal attractions <laughs> the wrong side of the street <laughs> the sum of all fear of women's sexuality parallel parking <laughs> um but yeah that part i think i was like a little bit i think I was probably 14 because that's how old I was in anywhere. I was just like, Oh my goodness. Like this is shocking. And now I just think it's so funny to think of Kathleen Turner doing that, especially the character that she's playing. She's I know <laughs> it's amazing. It's so she, good. she can't be pinned down. And that's like the thing, like also, which is such a huge fucking message of the movie is just about, you know, women or female identifying people like constantly being tried, try society, especially then and before, you know, being put into some kind of box. Like you're a suburban housewife, so you have to be this way. And, you know. And I think that John Waters is really genius because he understands that it's all connected. Like fear of, like homophobia, it's connected to fear of women's sexuality. And like the boxes that we put on people in society um, are the same. It's like all related to like fear and when you poke fun at it, it actually like opens up a whole other world where you can kind of like make fun of yourself, which I think is also what a dirty shame was trying to do as well. Totally. And I mean, so is Crybaby. So is Hairspray. So is, I mean, that's a really great point because like, you know, if you think about it in many ways, he is like truly fearless, you know, and like he just kind of goes for it and camp is fearless, you know what I mean? And he does highlight the fear in American culture and how ridiculous it is. And how funny it is. And how funny it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's really amazing. And uh, I just, I don't know, I I listened to him recently give an interview on Mark Barron and he's a really great interview, whatever. Some people maybe don't like Mark Barron, I do, but it, nevertheless, it's a Some great interview. Some people being interview. me. <laughs> Some people in this room don't like Mark Barron. I love him. But I know, even, no, I know. Even if you don't, it's a wonderful interview because John Waters is so candid and so lovely and fun and like wonderful to talk. You know, his great conversationalist and just very open and uh, highly recommend those early. Yeah, he also him. published a book a while ago now where he hit, he literally hitchhiked across America and wrote about his experiences 
Uh, and I always am like, oh, I definitely should pick that up. And then I never have. So if anyone has that, send it to me in Indiana. But um, yeah, it's he's really cool. Really cool. And you know, funny. Septuagenarian. A, a septuagenarian, 75 years old. Um, 75 years young. Did I, what I didn't realize until I was doing this research, I guess I never realized that he grew that, started growing that pencil thin mustache as an homage to little Richard. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I actually, I guess I don't know why I know that. <laughs> it's very cute. Um, and you know, as you were saying that, like, I mean, imagine we live in like, we live in this time where we're very, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but very much against each other and there is so much fear in this day and age and a lot of it is warranted uh and some of it is not and a lot of it is exacerbated by the media but you know we've really turned to uh judging and anger and um kind of a holier than now attitude and maybe if we all had a little bit more of a watersy attitude about it and like realize you know I don't know, using humor uh, as kind of a, the best weapon because it actually works, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it can be subversive in that way. Although it is interesting, one of the reviews I read, they were like, John Waters loves making fun of the people who, in general, don't seek out his films, which is true. Like, you know, obviously... That is, that is my, true. My parents are not going to be watching any John Waters movies. Although they did watch Car Baby in the 90s because we had stolen HBO and it was on all the time. Well, yes, and, but to that point, I think, sure, like, people who he's making fun of aren't watching it, but I think the point is that it makes it more palatable to people who have to, like, be subject to the, like, venomous attitudes of these people. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, like, makes it a little bit easier to get through the day um, in some sort of way, realizing that, you know, I don't know, taking this, like, kind of approach through comedy. I also just think Ricky Lake's career is so interesting to go back to that. She, so I just Googled her, but she started the show and her talk show when she was 24 years old. Wow. Really? I did not realize that. That's insane. Ricky Lake was such a part of the zeitgeist growing up in the nineties. Like her show was such like a big deal. It's so interesting that they gave someone a talk show at her age. I just wonder. I know. I need to do a more of a deep dive into her. I know. I wonder, what is she doing now? Do we know? She's been, you know, she did a bunch of TV shows. Um, I forgot that she was in Cecil B. Dementum, which is another John Waters movie. Great movie, yeah. Um, But, yeah, she was basically in almost every John Waters movie after Hairspray. Hairspray, yeah. Um, Basically, now she, you know, got married, had some kids. She's doing some, like, business. She was on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, wow. Uh, she, she didn't win though. It's okay. Well, she did some stuff with Rob, you know, she's just like paying the bills. She was on the the mass singer, which I have a lot of issues with. Um, I've never even heard of it. Well, so the mass singer, I don't have a lot of issues with it. I just don't understand it. But basically it's like people go on stage wearing costumes and you have to figure out who they are, but they're like famous people. Well, this is also kind of like the new show Sexy Beast on Netflix. Have you heard about this? No. Well, to finish that, we're a little bit over time. But basically, the premise of Sexy Beast is <laughs> you go on a, a dating show, right? Okay. So you're, you're going to meet someone for the first time and the cameras are there, right? But the entire time during your date, you're wearing like 
insane movie prosthetics all over your entire face as if you were on like Star Trek <laughs> Deep Space Nine. What? Why? Why is right, Zara. Um, I guess the whole idea is that like, well, you could you fall in love with someone and then I guess fall out of love with them when you saw their real face. And no. There's been a lot of there's been a lot of um like jokes about this on the internet, but also like someone pointed out, they're like, well, everybody looks pretty skinny and like normal underneath their costumes. He's like, so the only thing that the prosthetics are hiding is whether or not they're white, which I thought was pretty interesting. That is very interesting. Um, also, I would never fall in love with anyone who wanted to do that to like meet somebody. That would be the first red flag. Also, but you, I guess I would be there in that case. So you literally, <laughs> you have to see some of the pictures. Cause it's just like, it's, I don't even, I don't even know. Like, I know I sound so old, but I'm like, are these people famous too? Or these are just normal fucking And according to the internet, like regular slender people who probably would have an okay time out in the dating world, you know, like what? Clearly not. Clearly they wouldn't have an okay time in the dating world if they have to like dress up like to bring it back full circle. Okay. Well, if you truly believe, if you truly believe in your heart that people go on filmed dating shows because they're trying to find a boyfriend. That's what do ridiculous. I know about love? I, I'll believe anything. To Those be people honest. are trying to get like sponsorship deals, sweet sure. blowouts for life at the very least, you know, like sure, somehow, sure, 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 sure. um, these people are not looking for love. Huh? Well, I don't know. Good luck. You know what I say? Good luck to them. Good or luck they to you, are, sirs. they're looking for love in all the wrong places. They are looking per nut per nub. <laughs> um and yeah sorry that took a weird turn but i feel like don't apologize to these people is campy and john waters would he would be i bet he's on it he's probably watching it right now <laughs> i'm like what if you take off their mask and they're 74 years old <laughs> <laughs> it's kevin costner under there <laughs> the oldest man alive <laughs> america's oldest man kevin costner <laughs> oh my god <sighs> okay oh, okay so armin's gonna kill us we have to get off of here Wait, we have to first quickly say our top three favorite john waters movies oh shit well i wasn't prepared you go first okay number three for me is polyester okay number two is hairspray and number one is serial mom i have to do number one serial mom two i also really like hairspray that's i like grew up on that movie and I also really liked Cecil B. Demented, even though I don't think it's actually good now. I just remember as a kid, I think I was trying to be like cool. And I was like, oh yeah, I like Cecil B. Demented. It's a Cecil good B. Demented is great. I also want to throw in a fucking uh, wild card here for one of the later John Waters movies, which really spoke to me. was Pecker with Edward Furlong. That's John Waters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I actually, I've never seen it, but Christina Ricci's also in that, right? Yeah, that's a great, that's a really great movie about a also, kid who becomes a photographer. R.I.P. Edward Furlong. Is he dead? He's no longer with us? Oh, I thought he died. Did he not die? Uh, I don't know. Let's look this up. I mean, we don't want to be spreading rumors about Edward Furlong. I thought he committed suey. Really? Just huh. like Jonathan Brandis. Edward I- Furlong, yes. W- wait. Was born. No, he's alive. He's oh, very right. much alive. Sorry, I'm sorry, Edward Brown. He did Brown. not die by suicide. You can understand why I would think that, though, because... Nicole, not only is he alive, but he was born one day after you, but three oh. years before. 
In the year 1980? Uh, in the year 1780. <laughs> You're a vampire. <laughs> oh, I was born in 1780? Yeah, so that's right. Mm, no, we're not going to make jokes about my age on this podcast. Uh, he was born in the year 1977. Oh, he's older than me? Yes. Yeah, he's your elder. He's 43. Yeah, well, call me Edward for long, even though I thought you were dead. Even though you suicide. died by suicide. He's alive. If you're not on Sexy Beast and already finding a lover, give me a call. I loved Edward for long. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. I'm thrilled to know that he's still living. I don't know, of course, American History X. Oh, yeah, what a... He was hot in that. feel-good family. Oh, you know, Edward Norton is also hot in American History X. That's how I learned about curb stomping, everyone. Um, And on that note... And on that note, thank you for tuning into this food (laughs) podcast on the Wholesome... Uh, Heritage Radio Network. Um, this has been a show about gardening and farmers. Also, markets. the opinions expressed in this podcast obviously are not shared by Heritage Radio. No, they don't even want to let it. We're not really even on the network, but that's fine because no one's listening. Except, actually, I do want to give a shout out to Claire, uh, a good old friend of mine uh, who I've recently realizes listening to the show so claire thank you so much <laughs> recently realized uh, i recently realized to armin our cute little producer guy he's very we don't know that he's little armin could be over seven feet tall we've never seen him i mean little as in young and innocent. oh yes he is young yeah he's only 16 thank Let's you armin get for out of here this. this is becoming embarrassing I'm humiliated, but I haven't been recording this, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Okay, well, bye-bye. Hasta la rubber pasta. (laughs) Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>